Welcome, welcome, welcome. Glad you are with us today, uh, whether in the room or watching online. If you have your Bible, whether digital or printed, would you join me in Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, beginning a new collection today of teachings. As, as a church, we're just going to spend a, a good period of time. In fact, this is going to take us, we're going to study the book of Acts together. Kind of chapter by chapter, section by section, um, theme by theme, if you will, from now until um, we get to the Advent season at Christmas time. And so we're going to spend some time in this this book, get to know it, learn a little bit about what does it mean to be kind of a radiant church? What does it mean to be the gathered people of God and to carry on the mission of Jesus. Acts chapter 1, uh, if you've got your Fresh Start Bible, it's page 948. Um, you can also get there digitally if you want. I'm going to ask that in honor of the Word of God that you would stand with me as we read this. We, we stand as a embodied demonstration of our submission, belief in, and honor for the truth of God's Word. So, Acts chapter 1, we're just going to read 11 verses, and I know how to read quickly, all right? Here we go. Verse 1, in my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven and giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he he was actually alive, and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, so when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore your kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. This is the word of the Lord and all the people said, amen. Hey, you can be seated. Anytime you're getting ready to study a book of the Bible, um, I encourage you, especially if you have a, have a Bible similar to like the Fresh Start Bible that we have, these are available for free out in the lobby if you would like to grab one. We've got paperback versions of them and they are free for you. Somebody has already paid for them. If you have the means to pay for one, I encourage you to pay it forward and help provide Bibles for someone else in the future. $10 is kind of what they cost us and so you can do that out there, but uh, I'd encourage you to get a Bible like that or another study Bible, because at the beginning 
of each book in the Bible, there are these kind of write-ups and little instructional things that kind of give you a little bit of background a little bit of information about the book, who it was written to originally, some of those things. I encourage you to read those things and maybe this week open your Bible and read some of the introduction to this book so that you can get an understanding of what it is that you're reading and what's been written about in the process. And uh, I would encourage you to do that. There, there's also a great uh, resource out there called Theos U. The SU is kind of like a Netflix for theology. You pay a subscription price and have access to great Bible teaching, theology information, and instruction as it relates to all sorts of things in the Bible, including overviews and studies in each book. It's kind of consolidated in an easy-to-digest way. And it's available, a resource out there to help you grow in your own spiritual maturity, knowledge, and understanding. Uh, there's also something called the Bible Project, and they do these overview videos as well as some other things to help you understand this book. So before we get too far into studying this book, I want you to take a look at this Bible Project video, a section of it, introducing this book that we're about to study as a family. The Book of Acts. It's the second volume of a unified two-part work that today we call Luke-Acts. These were written by the same author, Luke, who was a traveling co-worker with Paul. This is clear from the book's introduction, where Luke says, I produced my first volume, that's the gospel, about all the things that Jesus began to do and to teach. Now Luke's giving a clue here as to what this book of Acts will be about. Volume 1 was about what Jesus began to do and to teach. Volume 2 will then be about what Jesus continued to do and teach. Which leads to a really interesting point about the book's traditional but not original name, the Acts of the Apostles. While different apostles do appear in most of these stories, the only single character who unifies the whole story from beginning to end is Jesus himself, acting directly or through the Spirit. And so the book would more accurately be named The Acts of Jesus and the Spirit. The book's introduction recounts how the risen Jesus spends some 40 days with the disciples, teaching them about the kingdom of God. This connects back to the story of Luke's gospel, where Jesus claimed that he was restoring God's kingdom over the world, beginning with Israel. So he called Israel to live under God's reign by following him. And he was enthroned as king when he gave up his life and then conquered death with his love. And so the book of Acts begins with the risen King Jesus instructing his disciples about life in his kingdom. So he promises that the Spirit will soon come and immerse them in his personal presence. And this fulfills one of the key hopes from the Old Testament prophets, that in the Messianic kingdom, God's presence, his Spirit, would come and take up residence among his people in a new temple and transform their hearts. And so Jesus says, when this happens, the Spirit will empower his disciples to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. From here, Jesus is taken up from their sight in a cloud. It's an image drawn from the book of Daniel, chapter 7. It shows how Jesus is now being enthroned as the Son of Man who was vindicated after his suffering and now shares in God's rule over the world. And so he promises that he will return one day. 
And so the main themes and the design of the book of Acts flow right out of this opening chapter. This is a story about Jesus leading his people by the Spirit to go out into the world and invite all nations to live under his reign. And so the story will begin with that message spreading in Jerusalem and then into the neighboring regions of Judea and Samaria full of non-Jewish people, and then from there out to all of the nations into the ends of the earth. And this is the beginning of understanding what this book is about. And so we begin this book and this study with understanding the background, the acts of the apostles, the acts of the spirit, the acts of Jesus at work in us. And Luke is the author. Luke is a doctor and a historian. And he's trying to write an accurate account so that we can understand the acts that occurred. And, and the writing of this book occurs between the period, or it covers, rather, events that took place from A.D. 30 all the way through A.D. 64. So about a 34-year period of time is kind of what we're getting a snapshot of what was happening. Acts is a book that is full of theology. It has lots of narrative, meaning story. It wasn't written to you, but it is written for you and for us today. And it is full of historical events that occurred. These are events that actually occurred. These are the acts that were done. And it all starts with this understanding of what Jesus began to do and teach. The things Jesus began to do and teach. In fact, as you read through and study the book, you'll begin to notice that there are parallels between what Peter and Paul do and teach and what Jesus did and taught. They're linked and meant to be that what the, 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 the apostles and the early followers of Jesus, what they did and taught and believed was as a result of paralleling, mirroring, being an apprentice to Jesus himself and emulating what he's done for them. It are It is the acts of what they did. Jesus spending this time before he went up and left for a period of about 40 days was hanging out with them and did many things to prove to them, <laughs> I love this, that he actually was alive. It wasn't some weird ghost. It wasn't a really long trance or dream that they were in. Like they could touch, they could talk, they could interact, they could see and hear the visible resurrected Christ, which is really important because that very message that Christ was dead and now rose again and is the Son of God made Son of Man, living and dying for us, demonstrating these things, that is the message that they gave up their life for. It wasn't because they loved people so well that they, they got killed. It was they, because they believed in a resurrected Christ. They gave their lives for this. And Jesus spent 40 days with them and proving to them again and again the many ways it says that he actually was alive and living among them. What a cool thing to know. Jesus would talk to them about the kingdom of God. He was going to give them the Holy Spirit, and now they could continue his work. Now, as a church, we spent an entire year studying and reading through and understanding and teaching and, and interacting with the text known as the Gospel of Matthew. Over a year as a church in that book of the Bible. 
So there's a lot that you can go back and listen and, and read and hear. Why, why is that important? Because we recognize that it was about King Jesus. It was the King Jesus gospel. We spent a year exploring all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And we too, as a family and as a people, want to posture our hearts like the disciples and say, okay, if that's what he began to do and teach, would you send us the Holy Spirit and empower us to now carry on that same message in the world in which we live? We want to live and move and obey and follow the teaching of Jesus Jesus is the king and the gospel is about his kingdom. The, the scriptures point to him and his ways and his kingdom. We, we aren't just saved from our sins, but rather we are saved and brought into a new family. We are saved and brought into a new kingdom dynamic. See, the moment you say yes to Jesus is only the beginning and entrance of you exploring the kingdom of God. It is not the end goal for you and me. And all of this was happening. Jesus was reminding them of the kingdom, taught them about the kingdom, was helping them make sure they understand that the kingdom wasn't coming in power and might. Jesus wasn't going to come out with another army to now overthrow Rome in their lifetime. Jesus wasn't coming in military power and conquest to bring independence. That's not what Jesus was coming. His kingdom was different than the kingdoms of the world in which we live in. Oh, but they were ready and waiting and come on, you're going to do it now, right? It's going to happen now. And he says, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to go wait for seven to 10 more days and then I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit and then you're going to carry on the mission of bringing about the gospel and the kingdom of God everywhere you go. And, and Jesus was telling them all of these things in this final days with him. And the Bible says, then he began to go up into heaven like a cloud came down. This is what the Bible refers to as the ascension. Somebody say the ascension. Now, the ascension is really, really key to our understanding of some things. Because if Jesus doesn't become enthroned on high, he does not take his place as king on high. Because kings sit on thrones. Heavenly kings sit on heavenly thrones. Earthly kings sit on earthly thrones. He was growing back to heaven and being enthroned. In fact, this ascension found in verses 9 through 11, listen, is the very first act of the book of Acts. It's the very first event that is very central and important to the followers of Jesus in this day. It was the very first event recorded in this book. And they were sitting there and it was like, it says a cloud came down and it was like he disappeared in the clouds. Now, they were looking up because, of course, they wouldn't be looking around because he wasn't really around because they'd like start searching everywhere, like under chairs and rocks. Like, where did he go? It's like, where's Waldo just trying to search for Jesus somewhere among the other people thinking that he like slipped away again? No, this was something that's happening. There was a cloud that came down and that cloud was very, very important because it links to something biblical that we want to see and understand. One commentary says it like this. Jesus was leaving the earth, and the only way to leave the earth is, of course, upward. After all, we don't really imagine that heaven is just up outside the atmosphere, as if we could get there in a spaceship. 
We should not imagine that the cloud that hid him from their sight was an ordinary cloud in the sky either. This is the same sort of cloud that we find at the Mount of Transfiguration in Luke chapter 9 and in other Gospels. It's the same cloud that shows up in Exodus chapter 16 when Moses is meeting with God on the mountain. And it is the same cloud mentioned in Psalms 104 in verse 3. The cloud that is the revelation of the divine glory of God. It was a moment when the unseen heavenlies touched and intersected with human earth and the realm in which we are living in. And it was as if Jesus was there, then he was in the cloud and he was gone. And all of a sudden there were two dudes in white robes standing like, what's up, men of Galilee? Like, I find great humor in the Bible in moments like this. I don't know about you. It's like, oh, of course there was an angel that stood there. Whatever. Have you ever had somebody just appear around the corner? <laughs> right? Like, don't be acting like you're all chill. Like, oh, yeah, what's up? I knew you were there the whole time. Like, liar. Like, you is startled and asking for, like, defibrillators and, like, checking your pants. Like, it's all a bit crazy. But here they were looking like men saying, hey, hey, hey you're looking in the wrong place. He'll come back again. Just the same way he, he went up, he'll come back down in a minute. It'll be a time, but he gave you some instructions. This ascension, though, was so important because Jesus was ascending to sit on the throne. L -l -l Let me tell you why it's so important. Uh, John Calvin, the, a great Bible teacher and theologian, says it this way, Christ's ascension into heaven was the real commencement of his reign because he was ascending to his throne it was a picture of the fulfillment of Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel chapter 7, Daniel the prophet was having this vision of seeing something in the future. And this is what he was seeing. Let me read to you 9 through verse 14 so you catch a glimpse of this. Now, this was an apocalyptic vision. There are some lots of metaphors and imagery all rolled up in here. But don't miss the big picture of what's happening. Verse 9 says, I watched as thrones were put into place, and the ancient ones sat down to judge. His clothing was as white as snow, his hair like purest wool. He sat on a fiery throne with wheels of blazing fire, and a river of fire was pouring out, flowing from his presence. Millions of angels were ministering to him. Many millions stood to attend to him. Then the court began its session. The books were opened, and I continued to watch because I could hear the little horn's boastful speech. I kept watching until the fourth beast was killed, and its body was destroyed by fire. I don't have time to unpack the four beasts and the three beasts and the, what they're referencing and the apocalyptic things of that. That's another study for another time. Just trust me on this one. They weren't good. Verse 12 says this, the other three beasts had their authority taken from them, but they were allowed to live a while longer. Verse 13, as my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. 
This is the enthronement scene where Jesus was now ascending into heaven and was taking his rightful place over every tribe, language, tongue. Every people group would bow one day, Philippians says, to the name that is above every name. This is something cosmic and wonderful and all authority and all power and all honor and all sovereignty now belong to Jesus the King, the ruler the one who is and is to come. Hebrews chapter 7 kind of gives us a picture as to what's happening here with the enthronement of Jesus. Uh, It says this in verse 22 of Hebrews chapter 7. It says, because of this oath, Jesus is the one who guarantees this better covenant with God. In other words, Jesus did something important. But he had to be present with God in heaven in order for it to take effect. There were many priests under the old system for death prevented them from remaining in office. But because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. Jesus left the earth. He was enthroned with authority, power, and honor. And he went to heaven, presented himself as the lamb and the sacrifice and the priest that brought the sacrifice. See, the priest would go into the presence of God, into the earthly temple once a year, offer these sacrifices to cover and remove the sins of the entire nation of Israel. What Hebrews is hinting at is that Jesus, as he ascended into heaven and shows up in the earthly, uh, not no longer in the earthly temple, but now in the heavenly temple, in the courtroom of God, almighty among his counsel, there with him in the heavenly host, he is presenting himself as the sacrifice once and for all. Which is why you can be forgiven of your sins. Which is why you can stand before God. Which is why you can receive the very spirit of God yourself. Martin Luther said it like this. In his life, Christ is an example. Showing us how to live. In his death, he is a sacrifice. Satisfying for our sins. In his resurrection, a conqueror. In his ascension, though, a king. In his intercession, a high priest. I know we like to say that Jesus lives in our hearts when we surrender and receive him, but the truth is Jesus is in heaven, not in your heart. The Holy Spirit lives in the inside of you. Jesus is sitting on a throne as a king, sovereign over all, and he is sitting there interceding and praying and being an intermediary on your behalf. So when you think no one is praying for you, no, Jesus has been praying for you. When you think nobody is watching and cares and and you feel helpless in your life, know that Jesus has always been right next to the Father, making intercession, making a way, helping you have access to him and him give access of his life to you. This is why the ascension is so important. That Jesus fulfilled and completed something amazing. He was no longer just servant living on the earth. He was now king and now king and high priest. Hebrews 9 goes on to tell us a little bit more about what was happening. It says, For Christ did not enter into a holy place made with human hands, which was only a copy of the true one in heaven. 
He entered into heaven itself to appear now before God on our behalf. And he did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again like the high priest here on earth who entered the most holy place year after year with blood of an animal. No, it has been necessary. Christ would have had to die again and again and again ever since the world began. But now, once for all time, he has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice. And just as each person is destined to die once and after that comes judgment, so also Christ was offered once for all time as the sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. And he will come again, not to deal with our sin, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. In other words, salvation is as much in the future as it is something that has begun to work in you now in the present. Jesus is standing in heaven and has been made the sacrifice once and for all. He's there making it possible for your sins and my sins to be removed that once kept us from God, now made possible for us to come close to God. Why do we need to understand the ascension? Because if we don't understand the ascension and its powerful implication for understanding the truths of how the world and creation and what God has made works, then we will not be able to understand the next part, which is the mission that God is inviting you into and the empowerment of the spirit that you need to receive in order to accomplish that mission. The ascension is so incredibly important for us to understand this so that we can move forward and eagerly await his return as we work and partner and cooperate with him to fulfill the mission. The mission wasn't just for one people group to have a relationship with God. It was for all people groups to be able to come and worship God. That every pagan nation could repent and 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 turn away from their false ideologies and false worship and encounter the living true God in their own right. For people who were dead in their sin to find freedom in Christ and be raised again in new life with the promise of resurrection to come in the future. See, there was something powerful that was taking place in this ascension. And as he ascended, he says, oh, by the way, go wait for the empowerment of the Spirit so that you can fulfill the mission that I've called you to. And that's where we see in Acts 1.8. He says, I want you to go and wait in Jerusalem, but you, you're going to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And when the very presence of God comes and lives on the inside of you and empowers you, you will be my witness, not only in Jerusalem, where it's starting, but in Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost, the, the other furthest parts of the earth. Oh, I'm so glad they were faithful to receive the mission. Otherwise, you and I wouldn't be sitting here today. Because you and I are a part of the uttermost parts of the earth. 
We're, we're in a different region altogether. We're not in Jerusalem. We're not in Judea. We're not in Samaria. We're in the uttermost parts of the earth, the outer reaches of the earth. This mission that Jesus started... This mission that Jesus began to do as it relates to the gospel of Jesus. This mission to continue to the work that Jesus started to carry the gospel message of the kingdom is a mission that we are still commissioned to carry out today. To be the radiant church, to be a radiant people is to realize and hold to and participate in the mission that Jesus has called us to. To bring this gospel message that Jesus is enthroned on high that he has the name above every name, that there is nothing that can bind you and there is a way to not be in a place of judgment from God, but rather to receive the favor of God and to be forgiven of your sins. There's something great about this. This is the mission that he's called us to. In fact, the rest of the book of Acts is really an unfolding of this very mission for us to learn and see and observe. As As a pastor... I'm really looking forward to studying this book, to studying what not only Jesus began to do and teach, but to see how the first generation of apprentices lived in a way to carry on the mission of what Jesus began to do and teach. Because our assignment is the same. It hasn't changed. Until Jesus returns, we want to remain faithful to remain faithful to the message. Jesus came to start a movement and renew a family covenant that we all get to be partakers and participants in. He came to redeem a people and open wide for every people group to belong. We can belong to the family of God. We can belong to the people of God. It's not automatic. It's not your birthright as an American. But it is open and options for those who want to come and surrender their life and say yes to following Jesus as Lord and Savior. We can belong to the family of God. I believe deeply, friends, in the mission of Jesus through the local church. I believe that every local church is an outpost for the mission of Jesus in their region. That we become an outpost as an expression of what does it look like to behold, to revere, to obey the rule and reign of Jesus in our lives and in our midst. It's a signpost. It's an outpost for the outpouring of God, for the mission of God. I believe in the local church. I am committed to the local church. When we were, uh, Amber and I, when we were um, in the interview process to come and uh, be the pastors here, it was uh, September of 2016 we flew out here uh, to, to preach on a Sunday and to, uh, to, to meet with the leadership and to interview. Uh, nothing like being examined by a bunch of eyeballs and some seats to figure out if you're good enough or measure up or, nah, he's all right. We might keep him. We might not. I don't know. Nothing quite as intimidating as that. You think one-on-one interviews are rough. It was such a great and healthy process. It really was. But as we were coming out here, 
I remember in the airlines uh, as we were getting ready to land into Kansas City, and I remember telling the Lord, Lord, I told you yes a long time ago. I told you yes a long time ago. I'll, I'll go and do anything. I am committed to the mission that you have for this world, and, and I want to be a part of it, Lord. I was already in ministry, had been in ministry for over 13 years full time at that point, serving in different capacities and a couple different churches. And I, I believe with all of my heart that me personally, that there's a bit of a, a filter and a philosophy that I have. I, I want to, with everything that I am, I want to I commit like a husband. I want to lead like a father. And I want to communicate the truths of who God is in creative and pertinent applicable ways to our lives. It's, these are passions for me. This is who I am. It's, it's kind of my mode of operation as a person living in this world. And I hope, 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 hopefully those things are true and evident. And, and, and as I'm saying that, some of you are like, oh, I can see that. I can see that. Ho- hopefully that is, that is true for you. But as we were getting ready to land in Kansas City, I said, Lord, I, I told you I would, I would say yes. I just need to know if these are the people and the place that you want me to give my life to and commit to. And I said it this way. I said, Lord, I need to know if this is the community you want me to marry and become in covenant with. Because that's how I view commitments in life. Especially commitments within ministry. And I'll never forget the whisper of the Lord. These are your people. I had no idea they would say yes. I just settled the yes in my heart for that mission. I believe in the local church. But local church can get messy. It's easy to confuse the mission with methods. That there's methods and ways uh, of approaching the mission, of accomplishing the mission. I think methods evolve and change and get looked at all the time. The mission doesn't change though, friends. As a church, our methods have shifted and changed even in the last couple of years. Some of our emphasis and approaches and how we're doing things and while I don't have any uh, necessarily real specific examples for you right today, I am confident the methods will probably change in the future. Why? Because I'm always tweaking and adjusting, trying to find the right way. Just ask my staff. They all got like new jobs in the last three months. I'm like, no, no, you were doing this. Yeah, we're going to change. We're going to do something different over here. Like we're just messing things up. I do that from time to time. It's true. Methods are going to shift and change. I don't want our mission to ever change because our mission doesn't come from a human. Our mission comes from the divine human son of God. And he said, I want to give you the spirit to empower you to be a witness in all the world. I I want to give you the spirit of God, my very life, so that you can go and make disciples in all the nations. You can go and make disciples of all the nations. You can go and make disciples of all the nations. Friends, the mission is unchanging, but our methods, they do have shelf lives. How people live out the expression of the mission can cause conflict with others. 
I am not, it is not lost on me that many people have experienced pain because they once belonged to what they would call a church. Because they once belonged to a group of people that proclaimed the message and wanting to follow Jesus. It is not lost on me that there is this real thing out there called church hurt. That people have been abused and powers have been mishandled and every time I get a new alert from the news app, I'm sitting there holding my breath. Please, God, don't let another pastor who is very public fail. Scandals have riddled the history of the church. Abuse of power has been rampant throughout the history of the church. We're going to see even in the book of Acts some of the failings and imperfections and missteps of the early church. It's part of all of our history and story. We cannot assume that just because there was a certain method at which how the early church did things that we are now looking at and saying, well, let's, let's get back to the early church and do it exactly how they did it. I don't think that's the goal. I don't think that's healthy. We don't want to look at history to do the same, but rather we want to learn from the history and contextualize it in a way that is helpful to moving the mission forward in all things. In other words, I don't look at American history and think to myself, I need to get back to wearing a white wig and dressing like they lived before the Civil War era. Just because it was a part of our nation's history doesn't mean we need to go back and relive our nation's history and live in the same way because that's how it was originally done. That doesn't make any sense. But the heartbeat and the lifeblood of our nation, we still want to hold to and cling to, absolutely. And the same lifeblood and heart flow of the people of God and the mission of God, we want to hold to. We want to hold the right convictions from Scripture and apply them contextually today in an honorable, integrous way, yes. We want to make disciples. We want to teach and obey. This was Jesus' command, to go and make disciples, teaching them to obey, Obey. We don't like that word. I would rather teach them to believe. I can convince you of something. You verbally agree with it and go live however you want. And we would call that belief. The Bible would disagree. That's not really belief. It says to teach them to obey. Nowhere does Jesus tell us eternal life, wholeness, or salvation as we would name it is received apart from becoming an apprentice of Jesus. The call and the mission of the local church is to make disciples, to teach us the ways of Jesus so that we become apprentices living like Jesus in the context we find ourselves. The goal is not to get a new transaction of salvation, but rather to be transformed by the life and the teachings of Jesus, producing salvation, remaining faithful until 
he comes again. And this reduction of the gospel from a transformation into some transaction that is cheap, that you can just say a prayer and move on and not live your life, not change anything about your life, not really apprentice under him, just kind of recite a few things and move on, has been what many people have experienced and has created a gap between what they read in the Bible and what they experienced in their life. And this gap has created so much pain in people's lives. Because it's not the mission of Jesus that we disagree with, but often the methods or the mishandling of the message that Jesus proclaimed. This is where we get the word and the reality called deconstruction. It's a bit of a buzzword in our day. Deconstruction, as A.J. Swoboda writes in his book, After Doubt, is now more broadly applied to the literature and the philosophy representing the dismantling of traditional culture values, norms, and ideologies. Most notably through the French philosopher Jacques Derrida. This led to what's been called postmodernism. Theological deconstruction as such is the process of dismantling one's accepted beliefs. There's a fundamental difference between doubt and unbelief in the scripture, though. A fundamental difference between doubt and unbelief. Peter's doubt wasn't the end of his faith. Why should it be ours? Peter's crisis of faith eventually matured into a deeper longing and love for Christ. Here's the mystery. To struggle with one's faith is often the surest sign we actually have a faith. Doubt is not always a sign that the man is wrong, Oswald Chambers once wrote. It may be a sign that he is still thinking. Emerging from this seems to be a kind of laissez-faire approach to historic Christianity that rejects Jesus as the only way to God while seeming to suggest that doubt and deconstruction are, ironically, the only way to God. Here, people who are rejecting historic Christianity and the truths of God's word allow the Enneagram to have more weight than the words of Scripture, Podcasts begin to trump one's service to the bride of Christ, and theology is acceptable so long as it's sanitized of anything that might offend a Sunday afternoon audience on NPR. This has led to a kind of Gnostic clique of naysayers who rest their pride on finding every last vestige of dirt on the church and the Bible with a pretense of arrogance that's nauseating. Go to the internet. Descend into the angsty, hopeless cesspool of Christian nihilism readily available online and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Friends, the church is not perfect, but it is the bride of Christ. There are a lot of things the early church got wrong, as we'll see. There are a lot of things that we at Faith Church, we get wrong. Just hang around here long enough. I will fail you. I will let you down. I might infuriate you at times. We want to make it as we make we want to make it a comfortable place for you to be anonymous as long as you want, and we want to make it really easy for you to be known if you want. But at the end of the day, we want to help you see Jesus as King in a way that you submit your life to Him. 
and become transformed by the power of the Spirit in a way that leads you to being an apprentice of Him more than you're an apprentice of Jordan Peterson, more than you're an apprentice of your favorite podcast, more than you're a favorite apprentice of you name and fill in the blank. We want to look more like Jesus. Many people have left our church because they thought something was wrong with our mission, but really they took aim at the methods of how we went about it. That's okay. Bless them, Lord. Jesus said, I I want you to be empowered to be a witness. A witness. See, we want to witness to the fact that Jesus rose again and he's coming again. We want to be a witness to the fact that he's the king and he's worthy of all of our allegiance and loyalty. We want to be a witness to the fact that Jesus is risen, alive, and has the power to transform our lives so we live according to his ways instead of the cultural norms of society. Beyond what we think is comfortable or fun or right or what we really want to do, We want to come and follow Jesus. See, friends, that word witness in the original language in the Greek is actually where we get our word martyr. God wants to come and give you his spirit so that you learn how to die correctly. So that we can die to our preferences. We can die to our selfishness. We can die to our own ways. And we need the Holy Spirit's full work in our life to be those kinds of witnesses. We're not talking about just going and being able to recite Bible facts to convince someone else that they should come to church and get saved. We're not talking about being a witness in the sense of we want you to, to know enough things to convince somebody that they're on their way to hell unless they change their life. That might be part of a conversation, but the greater thing is that you would have the power of the Spirit at work in you so that you are dying to yourself daily and looking more like Jesus and inviting them to experience the same transforming love and power of God in their life too. We need the Holy Spirit to help us remain faithful, to answer the doubts and the uncertainty and the pain And God's response to the doubt and the certainty and the pain that we experience in the life is a gift called his presence. The presence of the spirit that comes and wants to live and abide in you. The spirit is the presence among the gathered people of God who have each surrendered their heart to him. believe in the local church, the gathered people of God, because it is the expression and the space in which the Spirit's presence is felt. This is why when you walk in this room, there's something about being able to let go of all of the stuff of life and over an hour and 15 minutes to sit with the other people and experience an embodied reality of the life and the presence of God that is uniquely refreshing, filling, helpful, and full of healing in our midst. Because this is what Jesus wants us to be. Friends, my deepest pain in life has come because I'm a part of a church family.
some of your deepest pains may come from being a part of a family. But the fullness of the healing and wholeness that I've received has come from within the family. The robust and the multi-layered elements of my own healing and my own life and my own story and my own journey has come from being in the church family. Pain will come, but the Holy Spirit reminds us to be present and remain among the family of God. To not walk away because we have doubts, but to wrestle openly with them and allow the presence of the Spirit to breathe life to the faith that seems wavering. To allow the Spirit to come and be among you and to to strengthen you in a way that allows you to remain even though you are upset at the people around you. Oh, there's people. Maybe it's the person that takes up three parking spaces in a parking lot where they shouldn't take up that many because they're overcompensating with a really large truck in life. Maybe it's the person who opens their communion cup way too loud and their kid doesn't know how to be quiet and they steal all of the mints from the lobby and you don't get a mint. Maybe it's the person who makes a mess of the coffee and doesn't wipe it up and he's like, come on, don't you see there's other people who need to use the coffee? Sorry, this isn't my therapy session. It's the person who worships too loud and too aggressively and too verbosely you're like they're just trying to draw attention to themselves don't they know other people just want to be silent and be reverent in a place of worship and you get annoyed yeah welcome to the club maybe it's your own insecurities that are causing you to wonder I bet they're whispering about me I bet they're gossiping I bet they know what's, they saw me go for prayer I bet you do they're thinking that I, I'm a sinner and I haven't convinced my life to the Lord and I'm this and I'm that and I just I can't do that and they, they look at me and they're like oh is that person going to church they shouldn't be in church I know what they did last night I saw them leaving Sharkies at 2am too I don't know what they're thinking about being in church I'm like Welcome to the mess that is the people of God who are receiving the gift of the presence of the Spirit from the embodied, gathered people of God. It is the hope of the world. It is the hope of the world. They will know that you are my disciples by the way you love, not the sinner, not the poor, not the outcast, but by the way you love others who claim to be following Jesus too. Jesus said, what you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. In other words, what you've done to the least of the people among the body of Christ. He says, the least of these, my brothers and my sisters. He's not talking about the poor in general, although we want to do things to help them. We're not talking about the outcast, those that are on the fringe of society, although we want to help them too. He's talking about the way you participate, interact, and love. The people who also claim to be in the family of God. To which we all get to say, oh, come Holy Spirit, help me. Because the way in which we remain faithful here remain faithful in the family of God remain faithful to the mission to make disciples 
and obey his teachings, oh, then we experience the full salvation and wholeness when he comes again. The study is about exploring how we act in a way that allows that to be fulfilled in us and among us. How do we remain faithful? Will you stand with me as we pray? Would you take just a couple deep breaths and ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me today? Lord, we thank you for your love and grace and mercy in our lives. We thank you that while we were still sinners, you came and died for us. Lord, we thank you that you came to start a mission, to go into all the world and make disciples. Lord, we are part of the fulfillment of that mission, but we're also called to be participants in that mission. So Lord, help us to do that, to learn that, to surrender and submit that. And Lord, where there are those who have been disenfranchised, those who have felt hurt or lost in the shuffle, for those maybe who are wrestling with real doubts and uncertainty, God, those who have, as I've been teaching, have been reminded of some of their own pain from being a part of church or religion of some organized fashion and Lord, would you just by your spirit begin to bring healing to us? Teach us, God, how to remain faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we speak blessing over each other, can I just um, can I just tell you that I love you? And it's an honor for us to stand and to occupy and serve the roles that we serve. And my greatest prayer is that we would have an ever-deepening understanding of the love God has for us personally and that that would find an expression into how we deeply love each other corporately. And that's my prayer, that we would open our hearts and experience that in new, unfolding, many-sided ways. As we dismiss here in a minute, if you need prayer, our team, man, they would love just to pray with you, pray over you. Maybe you're walking through something, man. We'd love that opportunity specifically. But let's speak blessing over one another. Can we do that? It's on the screen. Nice and strong. Let's speak love over one another. Ready, go. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen. Hey, we love you. Go in God's grace and peace, you guys. I really hope today's message was life-giving. 
As a church, we wanna help you encounter God and take another next step in your allegiance to Jesus. I wanna ask you to take a step right now, in fact. Would you just share this message with a friend? Maybe post it on your social, text a coworker the link. Just be sure to include something that you learned or how it impacted you personally. When you do that, you get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in someone else. And don't forget to visit our central hub, faithchurchks.org. You'll find other next steps that you can take in your faith, including giving and partnership with us as we help others encounter Jesus like you've encountered him. Hey, we love you. And until we get to hang out again, remember, don't shrink back from your faithful allegiance to King Jesus.